Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. This is the Stanley Cup wrap-up edition of our show. Me and Chris, I'm Mark Warner. He's Chris Lisa out on Long Island. We're going to go through a little bit of uh, the Stanley Cup finals, maybe look ahead into where we're going into the offseason and and what we really think of, of how this uh, how this season went and played out for the Golden Knights. Um, we'll be right back. All right, Golden Knights fans, I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. And first things first, congratulations to the Washington Capitals, the organization, and the fans. After a 40-plus year wait, they have raised the Stanley Cup. I guess even at the start of this season, you wouldn't have bet any money on the Cup being lifted in Vegas for or against uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. So the, there it is. The the Capitals were the better team in the series. Uh they outplayed the Knights. Um, I have my thoughts, and we're going to get into it as we go along. Let me welcome Chris on the line. Good day to you, Chris. Hey, it was a terrific year, and obviously we're going to be Vegas Central here. Uh, I just want to make start off by making two quick points on the Capitals as a whole in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And, you know, obviously – you know, if you look at the we've talked about, it, if you looked at the roster this year, just compared to the last couple of years, you will uh, you would say, hey, uh, it's not even comparison. But I, I was trying to find the word or the uh, or the thing to put my finger on it. And obviously, the the Caps are playing winning playoff hockey. You know, they you know getting timely scoring. This you know the specialty teams, especially specifically the hurting teams on the power play. You know. Taking away scoring cha- uh, chances, blocking shots, limiting rebounds, winning faceoffs, all that, all that good stuff. But what really hit home for me watching Game Five the other night was when Pierre Maguire, uh, I think it was in the during the telecast that he talked to Matt Niskanen of the Capitals, who's been there for a while now, and Matt Niskanen said, going into that, not the most talented team I've ever been on but it's the most committed. And that's when the light bulb kind of went on. I'm like, yeah, sure. that's the other piece of the equation. That's how I would find how the Capitals as a whole, one through 20, uh, have played in these playoffs. And I think that's why they wind up uh, winning the Cup. I agree with that. I'll agree with that for sure. We've seen President's Trophy winning teams out of this uh out of washington dc and we were talking in our on our division preview for the capitals that uh compared to the roster the last couple of years it might be a step back year for the washington capitals coming off you know back-to-back losses in the playoffs by uh, against pittsburgh um that that dragon still being on the horizon um you know losing a few players kind of retooling a little bit and I, I said at the time they were in my show me, don't tell me group where we we've seen what this group has done and we've seen what they've been able to do in the playoffs. There was a stat um, floated after game four, which uh, obviously didn't turn out, but it was that this group of capitals has been up three, one in a best of seven, seven times and have lost those series five times out of seven. Um, 
So they were, they were my show me, don't tell me team in the season preview. But yeah, like you, like you said, uh, all, all the points you made about how, how they, you know, you go back at the start and they were down Oh two to Columbus going to Columbus. And I thought at the time that that was going to be, you know, another first round exit for a highly finishing Washington Capitals team. I think a lot of the hockey world at the time was throwing dirt on the Capitals and they get that game three win with a little bouncy bounce off of, I think Eller down low and win that game in overtime, won the next three to bounce Columbus and you know, go on to, to slay the dragon in Pittsburgh. And then again, in the, the Eastern conference finals, they came back down three, two, uh, Holpe with back-to-back shutouts to put them in the Stanley cup final. So commitment, uh, definitely a good word to c- describe that group that they never gave in. They never, they never deviated. They were all committed to the cause. And what do you think is, if, if I say that the reason that this group had wholly bought in, um, the maturity and the leadership values of Alexander Ovechkin first and foremost um, is probably what bonded this team together. Oh, absolutely. And I want to make what you brought up uh, the Columbus series. And I want to make this, this, this point. And, you know, people. Who listen to the show, Hello. Yep. <laughs> and people who have to this show probably, <laughs> probably have heard me at nauseum say, uh, I, I'm sure you probably, uh, you know, say heard me say many times how the parity in this league, how the difference between the teams, it's minuscule, and, and, and all that stuff. But to just show you how easily this could have been a totally different script is we now forget that they're down 2-0, and they really blew those two games. They they go to double on a double overtime game, so obviously anything can happen. And during one of those overtimes, Panarin hits a post that could you know easily that beat Holpe easily could have went in, would have been three zero Columbus. And again, it just shows you how on top of playing really well and, and doing all the right things and and all that stuff, you do need a little bit of the hockey gods along the way and how how easily things can change and, and, and turn. So, but, you know, kudos to them. If, if I may, because um, I know you have a lot to, to say in the night. So, for me, we last talked on last Saturday. So, really, you know, the last three games, obviously, games three, four, and five. But for me, these were just kind of quick bullet points of why the Caps – you know, won you know, won those won those games. I mean, obviously, you know, they continued to do extremely well on the power play. Uh they did that all throughout the playoffs. I think they finished with almost a thirty percent efficiency. You know, we we as I you know, if we saw as we saw the other night and during the telecast, you heard people say, and although game five was different uh from this standpoint, but for the most part you know, the Capitals, when they got chances, they got a series of chances. And a lot of times it took them that second or third or sometimes fourth chance in the zone or on a rebound to score. The ninth, specifically games three and four, were kind of one and out. You know, the Caps did a good job of blocking shots. Obviously, game three, uh, game four, uh, there was a lot of posts. 
and that was very unfortunate, very unlucky. Although Eric Howell had a whole wide open net. I mean, so I'm not going to count. So did that. James Neal. That should have been. So did James Neal. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> both of them. Uh, right. So so you know, and I'm not trying to pick on these guys because they're young guys, and I brought this up before the playoffs started. But you know, Carlson and Marcheseau kind of had a quiet series. But you know, you need the other yes. guys to step up. Uh, ironically, the fourth line did. Um, yep. No you know, you mentioned, uh, yeah, you mentioned off the air, and I'll let you go into more detail about it, about the defensive breakdowns. I mean, to me, Marc-Andre Fleury, who, who was really good in this series, but I thought he was exceptional in game five, and yet the Caps scored four goals. I mean, that's how, how the breakdowns, you know, I remember, I don't know if it was game three or game four, with Smith Pelly, I think it was game three. Smith Pelly was like all alone in front, and I think that made the game two one to three one. Unless I'm confusing my goals, and I'm like, how does, he, how does that happen? Okay, yeah. How did that? Yeah, you know, you just don't see that in a Stanley Cup final. You might see that during the regular season. You might see that in round one. I, I, and there was just too many of those. I mean, Flurry had no chance of that. So, to me, those were the reasons why you know the Caps. Uh, won the series. I mean, the way they were playing in Game 5, to be honest with you, unless the Knights, going into the third period, I said, unless the Knights really start playing better, uh, I, I felt I felt that the Caps were definitely going to win that game, even though they were down a goal going into the third period. So, well, uh, I'll let you tick off uh, maybe, you know, either to the thing, some of the things they said or your, your views on the, on the series and specifically the last three games. Well, there was there was another Smith Pelly goal, and I think it was the the game tying goal. And you br- you bring up the the fact that the luck has to be going your way, and it was John Carlson at the blue line who held a sideways puck on the blue line, maybe an inch from leaving the zone, flips it oh, towards was, the I, net. Was it Carlson or Olympic? I thought it was Carlson, either but you or. may be right. It may, either or. You know the play either I'm talking or. about. And I do. Deflects off I the do. night stick and is knuckle-pucking towards the net. And just – it lands beautifully on Devontae Smith's belly stick or skate, and he yeah. kicks it to his forehand, and he roofs it. And I, it either ties – I think that was the game-tying goal in game five. I thought going to the third period that the Knights were going to win the game myself. But – when those kinds of things are happening, and I don't know, I don't know when the luck turned, whether it was Holpe on the the save as they call it from game two, or yeah. whether it was even earlier when they didn't score on that five on three, and the Caps started building belief at that point. It was evident in their play that that once they held that off and kept the Knights from tying the game at that point, um, their belief started to grow right then. Um, but the luck, and and you mentioned the Winnipeg series too. They had they had quite a bit of puck luck in the Winnipeg series, to the point where Connor Hellbuck had mentioned it, and a couple other players had mentioned um, that things were just going right for the Golden Knights in that series. And I think once the puck luck turned and the and the series changed venues to Washington, I think that the younger guys on the team, and and they have a great leadership group with England and Neil and Perron, and obviously Mark Andre Fleury. And McNabb, who's been there before, um, I mm-hmm. think that the stage got to be a little big and the lights got to be a little bright for the, um, you mentioned the first line, we need more production out of them. Uh, Carlson, 
Um, it's come out now that Carlson was playing. They haven't mentioned uh, the the extent of his injury, but I mean injuries are are a part of it. Um, yeah, look at Backstrom. But Mar- yeah, look at Backstrom. Look, at, I think they said that Kuznetsov was had a dislocated elbow on that McNabb hit and still came back and wow. finished. You- so it, it, injuries are a part of it. Did you notice, and I, I want you to finish your point, but did you, before I forget, did you notice, I don't know if you watched the, 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 the some of the ceremony, I only watched the beginning of it, you know, when Ovechkin took the cup and then handed it to Backstrom and he did his he did his mini lap. Did you notice when he turned around, Ovechkin went over to him and had to help him hold the cup because we were talking about how his hand was all mangled. And, and he, he I think he needed help. Passing because then when he turned around to give the cup, I think it was to Orpic. Baxter needed help holding the cup because his hand was so mangled. Um, I believe that's why Ovechkin helped him. I don't know if anyone else picked up on that. I didn't. I wasn't watching at that point. Okay, I, I think it was mine. I think it was I watched much, Ovechkin but, yeah, lift well, the truck because because Ovechkin's obviously one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the game. I'm not going to miss the moment of seeing him. Uh, everyone wants to talk about having the cup cements the legacy and all that nonsense. I just, you know me, Chris. I'm a I'm a moments guy. I'm a I'm a visual right. guy. I'm an eye test guy. I'm not a cementing the legacy type of guy. That's for uh, I don't know right. who. That's for the Hall of Fame to decide. And I believe his legacy as the maybe the greatest goal scorer of all time is already cemented. But just for that moment to see Ovechkin finally lift the cup after obviously trials and tribulations of of getting to this point as a human being and as a hockey player. Um, I'm not going to miss that, but uh, going to hand the cup off and parade around on Vegas ice. I am not watching that, sir, <laughs> but uh, right. going, but going back to what, what we were saying, um, I, g- when the series moves to Washington and they did not play a good, uh, we both expected a split in, in uh, yeah. Washington but after game three, I did not really feel good about game four. I, I thought that the, the sticks were starting to get gripped a little tight by the younger guys um, that, that haven't seen. The, the first line didn't – I'm, I'm not going to say – I'm not criticizing them at all. Don't, don't take this the wrong way because the will and the, the desperation and just the effort put forth was there. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But the results that we're used to seeing out of, out of these guys were not there. And then in game four, I thought that, and I, and we saw this, I mean, and we, we were, like you said, we were talking about it off the air and now it's good, good a time as any to bring it up. There was so much uncharacteristic play by the golden Knights. Um, I did a, I did a podcast, the Oilers YYC podcast, which is an Oilers podcast based in Calgary. Um, it's just kind of odd giving the rivalry between those two cities, but, uh, and they do it publicly too. So I'm not surprised tomatoes aren't thrown from behind the bar or what have you. Um, but I was talking with them and, and I thought that the, the, the Washington had the up the boards and out covered with the it, you, people saying the one, three, one zone, whatever you want to call it. They had the neutral zone covered if they, the Knights were throwing it up the boards and out. Okay. Then the entering the zone with speed. Uh, and I'm using air quotes that nobody can see, but, um, the, the Capitals had that covered. And I was talking with them on Wednesday and I said, what the Knights, 
you know, the only other thing to do is to send your forwards into the neutral zone with speed, drop the puck back or have it stationed back and go up and over. If it's icing, it's icing. If the Knights entered that zone with speed and timed it to where the puck was coming down and they were already with speed entering the zone, I think eight times out of 10, and we saw it a few times in game five work where they were the first ones to the puck. They were past the dot and negated some icings and that that seemed to start to work and when they started doing that um the the i was listening to jimmy fox on the on the radio broadcast nationally and he said he said okay the, the this is it this is the the ice is starting to tilt in the golden knights favor they're getting through the neutral zone with speed and i was like okay we talked about that last night the other thing i wanted to see and didn't see in games three and four, which we're used to seeing all season from the Knights, his body's going to the net. It, the first three games, four games, game one is kind of an aberration, but what have you. Um, we did not see Golden Knights going to the net. There was one play, I think it was a, uh, a Theodore goal or a Colin Miller goal where Tuck had parked his wide backside in front of Holby and there was a blast from the point. It got through. Holby never saw it and it was a goal. And I, I was talking Wednesday night, and I said what they need to do, the puck luck's gone against them in the last two games, no question. Um, what do you do when you, when you need to break the ice? You need a greasy goal. You need to be in the crease. You need to have bodies in front of the net. You need a deflection. You need a rebound. And, and I thought Holpe had been giving up rebounds. His rebound control wasn't great in this series. Uh, there's a, quite a few times where if the Knights had been where they usually are, instead of running around chasing the puck, as they were prone to do in this series, that um, there were rebounds to be had. And then the Knights' first goal, uh, there's two bodies in front of the net. There's a shot towards the goal that deflects in off the capital skate. So that breaks the ice. Okay, okay so there's your greasy goal. It was off the Niskan and skate. Very, yes, very good. And so there's your greasy goal. There's your deflection. There's your luck. And then... The next goal was Perron, or the, I think it was the goal where Perron was, was thrown, yeah. thrown, thrown into the net. Why? Because he was parked in front of the net. And the Capitals right. player was forcing and pushing and forcing and pushing and forcing and pushing, and Perron would not move until finally uh, he got yeah, pushed I'll, into I'll, the net. I don't think I, um, I don't and, think and by the way, seen, seen that. by the way, great well, that extent, call. Yeah. On the no goalie interference on that play, <laughs> I mean, I, I, if that's if that's a no goal when you're outside the crease when you post up and the defenseman can come in and push on you for five or ten seconds until he knocks you into the net and it's no goal for goalie interference, then I'm gonna stop watching hockey because that's ridiculous. Yeah, kudos, kudos yeah. on them for getting just, that call right. It was just a it was just a bizarre play because you usually don't see a player literally standing in the middle of the, the crease. But you're right. If, I mean, it's one thing if he got there on his own or if he got there and exactly. pushed and didn't leave. But, exactly. you know, the guy was just, you know, he, he yeah. Nothing wrong could do. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's, yeah. It, it, I mean, there's no doubt that him being there uh, disrupted, uh, to put it mildly, Holpe. But he was there Agreed. because of of Hopi's own guy. So yeah, that was, um, you know, that was not, you know, that was uh, that was a good. I mean, I understand why the Caps challenged it because uh, sure. you know you have you a try. certain amount of time. 
the game time goal. And, and, and it was just an odd play, but you're like, you know what? <laughs> you know, he's there because of, because of the Caps player. And, and like you said, I mean, they did a, they did a good job, even though, you know, again, you might say, well, maybe puck luck was changing. The bottom line was they were getting bodies to the net and pucks to the net. And, you know, when that happens, you know, good things can happen. And that, and, yep. and that led, you know, to the first two goals. And then ironically, and then, it was a power play. Yeah. Oh, at the end of it, where they had a great play set up and they had an easy goal kind of thing. But um, yeah, I'm watching it right now. So you you get those you get those two go- greasy goals, uh, a puck luck goal on the skate deflection, uh, a gritty grind goal from Perron, which is funny they gave that right. to Perron because it bounced off him as he was flying into the net. But but Tatar creates that goal. And then you see Golden yep. Knights hockey start to be played, and they're buzzing, and they're rolling. And again, in front, and I'm watching the goal right now as we speak, is a, a shot from the point. Holpe does give up the rebound, and who's right there but Alex Tuck. And on the right side of the net, um, William Carlson is charging the net. And then you have two Capitals defensemen chasing Tuck. The backside is open, and I'm going to get to my point on the open backsides here in a little bit, Chris, that we were talking about earlier. So Tuck patiently controls the puck, and the backside so wide open, Riley Smith bangs it into the empty net, and now you're seeing Golden Knights hockey. Um, it, and then going to the third period, we know Washington, the whatever, whatever we answer. want to call it, they answered the bell for sure. I mean, but that's I mean, the kind I mean, of hockey Flurry, I, w- I would – did That's the kind of hockey, Flurry. for sure. I don't. Th- people are saying Flurry didn't play good in this series. I thought he f- played fantastic. I thought that his defense, and and I'll go through what we were talking about earlier. There's so many times, and even in games games two, three, and four, there were more shots come from Flurry's offside into open nets without defenders around. In the, those two, even th- counting game five. Then I've seen the Knights give up in the entire regular season, and that's not an exaggeration. One of this team's right. – so, go ahead. So, yeah, I mean, basically uh, the Caps answered in the third period. They definitely had the play. They had the opportunities. But Flurry was making some unbelievable saves. But at a certain point in time uh, when your team or is in that situation, you got to be able to, to turn the tide because there's only, you know – there's only so long you can hold the team off. I mean, you know, you can't have yeah. those kind of opportunities and expect your goalie for 20 minutes. They finally broke through, you know, at, at the 12 and a half minute mark, uh, I believe, and 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 then and then got the and then broke through about five minutes later. And you know, I I don't think the Knights had a lot of great A chances in the third period. In fact, I want to say after the Caps took the lead, the last seven and a half minutes. Maybe there was one scary moment for the Caps uh, off the top of my head. Maybe I'm missing missing one, but uh, maybe there wasn't a lot. And, in fact, what was interesting was when they pulled Flurry, you know, the Caps, I think, had three successive plays in a row, literally, where they iced the puck. They actually sure. – yep. but, but the key was they wanted each and every draw easily, so they got control back. You know, because that's the key. The key is to win that face-off. You have the numbers. You get the shots to the net, and let's see what happens. But uh, the Caps wouldn't let them get control of the puck. Uh, so, uh, although I have to say, when 
When Backstrom missed the open net uh, after he crossed the red line with about 40, I want to say it was around 40 seconds to go. Although, by the way, when the clock went out, that was bizarro, too. You're like, how much time was left? Like, what's going on? Like, I, 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 yeah. I almost envisioned a scenario of, you know, the, you know, they keep playing and playing. You go, what the hell happens if they wind up scoring and they go back and say, oh, by the way, the, 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 the horn was over five minutes four seconds ago. ago. <laughs> you know, I mean, so that was bizarre. But when Backstrom missed the open net, I mean, that should have been game set and match. And the game's still alive with, you know, anything can happen. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, can you imagine if they go. score here? And 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 the poor guy, you know, is playing with a mangled hand. I mean, he, he was still a magician doing what he has to do, everything but shooting. You can't, I mean, one would say, to say oh, come on, you know. But I, you can't tell me that didn't have an effect. But the bottom line was they were still alive and, and – uh, uh, but you know, it just, it just wasn't, it just wasn't meant, wasn't meant to be. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, could the Knights have played better? Yeah, sure. I mean, there were, like we talked about during the series, there was some mind blowing, uh, defensive mistakes, defensive lapses, uh, ones that you usually don't see in the Stanley cup final, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, but, um, you know, again, at the end of the day, you know, the caps had, a, you know, it's, they put a lot of pressure on them. Uh, you know, they were part of the reason for those for those mistakes. Flurry, sometimes uh, I would say Flurry. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but you know, the Caps gonna make mistakes too. It wasn't like they played that they didn't make not mistakes that much. During the series. And, <laughs> Capitals and, played very yeah. clean. Well, they had less. Yeah, they had less. Yeah, absolutely, they had yeah. less. But you know, I mean, there was a couple times in Game Five where literally right by the goal there their own defenseman, I mean, you forget about it now, literally gave up the puck to the ninth, three, four feet out, and Holpe bailed them out. I mean, you mm-hmm. you, you know, you forget Couple about times. that, you know, now. Yeah, I mean, that, that just can't happen. But, um, you know, look, I mean, it was just, uh, uh, I mean, my, I, I, I really thought we were going to go seven. So I'm a little mm-hmm. disappointed that the series only went five. Went five. So I'm, and I'm very surprised by that. But um, look, they 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 had an unbelievable season. I mean, they really they really did. And and uh, and uh, kudos to the Capitals. You know, I mean, I don't think you look back saying, you know, kicking yourself. I mean, I think you look back if you're Vegas and from a learning experience and you know what could we have done and what could we have done better. But I don't think you look back and say, you know, you know, we blew a thing. I, I really don't. Well, let me give you some quotes here from the uh from the local media on on Exit Day yesterday from some of the guys and let me get and and uh George McPhee as well and let me get your your thoughts on some of these. Jonathan Marsh so um I think after the Winnipeg series we let our foot off the gas and we weren't ready to play in the final. Yet they won um, game one. So I don't agree with that. I didn't see that. I didn't see that they weren't ready to play. I didn't see that whatsoever. Effort was there. Uh, they fought. Um, you know, they made mistakes, but I, I you know, that's going to happen. I, 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 I respectfully dis- disagree with Mr. Marchessault. Okay. Okay, Mr. Um, Mr. Gallant, Coach Gallant. Excuses yeah. are for losers. We don't have any. 
Washington was the better team. They deserved to win the series. Uh, they were the mature team. They were ready to win, and they did. Uh, absolutely. Um, and then George McPhee. Yes. He says, we're going to do everything we can, and this is my version of a segue, to keep this group intact, but there is always three or four guys that don't come back in the salary cap era. Yep. What so do you think this roster looks like next year? Okay, well, without going through, like, every single player, just the just the big, you know, the big pieces. First off, um, you know, the, the, in terms of their uh, youngsters, RF, they got three guys to keep an eye on in terms of, do they sign William Carlson and Shea Theodore to those kind of bridge year, bridge deals, two, three-year deals, or do they try to lock them up to long-term deals? I mean, they're not going anywhere, obviously. You know, Nate Schmidt, who is a very good player for them, is only 26, is just a year away from unrestricted free agency. Do you lock him up now, uh, or do you say, you know what, I want to see a bit more? I mean, obviously, George McPhee goes back a ways with Nate Schmidt from his days with the Capitals. So I would think he would attack that this summer. But, you know, the four guys that they have, who the four big guys, if you will, uh, who are unrestricted free agents are Neil, Perron, Lucas Spisa, and and Reeves. So let's start with Spisa on defense. Uh, His game game aside – uh, he didn't have the, the best cup final, but, you know, a lot of injuries this yeah, year. Game five was his fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, long story short, he, Sorry, Luca. he's getting a little bit older. He's not going to be cheap. Uh, they have depth there. Uh, I, I think I, thanks for, you know, you being part of the team for the first year. Um, you're going to move. You're going to move on. Ryan yeah, Reed, and I got his replacement right he, now. Right. When he played, and they kind of spot-started him during the playoffs, he played a lot down the stretch, uh, he did a lot of good things, and he played well. Sign him. Now, the Sign only, him. The, the, well, here's the thing, the way I look at it. I mean, they have a lot of, you know, those complimentary, gritty role players. In Not like that. Ryan Carpenter, and Nosek, <laughs> and Carrier, uh, you, you know, in... Belmar. Um, now you say sign him. I yep. wouldn't be against that, but I'm not. I think what's important here. I, I did a show with Alan Z last night, on, uh, and my power play was on George McPhee and Vegas keeping the eye on the prize. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying for the Knights to say, okay, we can go back into trying to build teams for that, you know, for five years. I'm not saying any of that. Every team going into this offseason, including the Buffalo Sabres, who had the worst record last year, their goal should be to, to win the Stanley Cup, okay? But at the same token is, in terms of trying to capture short-term gains and overextending yourself and making bad moves uh, because of it, if you told me they can get Ryan Reeves uh, at, you know, above market value even a little bit, 10%, 20%, whatever, on a two-year deal, no problem. Fine. That's what I'm saying. You know. Two years, two million yeah. per. And I bet yeah. you he jumped yeah. at that. Yeah, so that's fine. That's that's fine. If we're talking about and if that, he gets into, now if someone yeah, else, if he gets into, 
40 or 50 games a year and he gives you a little physical presence in the playoffs next season, assuming you get there, then great signing. And he's a good room guy. The guys on the team like him. Yeah. Now, if someone on the marketplace is willing to give him three or even four years, like Matt Barton got a couple years ago from Toronto, then, you know, then you you walk away. You know what I mean? Agreed. So, uh, I think they have depth there, but I'm not against keeping him back on a short-term deal. Now, we talked I'm about the time that. of the Tatar trade uh, that we said when they traded for Tatar with the three draft picks, including this year's first, we mm. said, well, and let, you know, between Neil and Perron, we, we felt like only one's coming back now. Uh, to me, the guy that I really want to see them bring back is James Neal. But again, I'm going to put a caveat on it. I don't want to go more than four years on the guy. I really don't. I, I mean, I'd be willing to overpay on an annual year if his number is, let's say, seven. I'm willing to go to eight. I really don't want to go more than that. I mean, that's where those, uh, you know, now if I can't get mm-hmm. Neil back, if I can get Perron on a three-year deal, uh, you know, Perron being scratched during the cup finals is not exactly confidence of, you know, we think he's kind of, uh, one of our core guys moving forward in terms of, you know, I know we don't know if he was hurt though either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, I'd much rather see them sign Neil and keep in mind, you know, that as you know, they, they drafted three talented young kids last year. Now I'm not, they're probably not going to be ready next year, but their time is, they're going to be here sooner rather than later. So I don't want to be having all these guys, kind of clogging them up, and then their production goes down, and they're making all this money against the cap. So, to me, I would want them to bring back either Neil or Perron, preferably James Neal. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm willing to pay James Neal a lot. It's the term for me. I don't want to go past four years. And if I can't get either guy, you know what? Um, maybe I can make a trade. Uh, maybe I can sign someone in free agency. Uh, there are there are other options, so that's kind of how I see it. Um, I don't know what the marketplace would be for James Neal. He would do well. I mean, is someone going to give him a five year deal at, you know, yes, eight million a year? <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. That's, uh, what that's three years ago, Milan Lucic got six years, six million out of Edmonton. Who would you rather sign? Yeah, how does that look? How, how, I mean, it doesn't look very good, but he got the deal. Someone's going to throw it think, at him. But don't you think? Don't you think other teams will look around the league and they say, "Okay, James Neal, love to have him." Blah blah blah. And someone says in the room, says, "Well, you know, to get him, we're going to have to give him five years, maybe even six. And then someone says, "Oh, well, let's do it. You know, screw it." And then someone else in the room says, "Well, you know, where do you think Edmonton? Edmonton took that attack with uh, Lucic. Where, where? How does that look now?" Or you know, the Islanders took that land with asking me, How does that look dude, right if, now? If you're asking me if the general managers in the National Hockey League will learn from each other's mistakes, my answer is a bona fide no. That's why they have a salary okay. cap in the collective bargaining agreement because they can't right. stop doing it. They got Luongo. They had right. um, DiPietro. They have Kovalchuk. They have... I mean, they have plenty of examples. I mean, if we were looking at deals not to make 101 NHL, the general managers could uh, teach a thesis on that, okay? Um, and if if, right. if you're asking me if there's not one guy out there 
who will say, okay, I'm giving him seven years, seven million, and I'll work it out down the road because he's that piece we need to win this year. Absolutely, I think somebody will throw money at him. Absolutely, I think it's going to be I, in James and, and Neal's, I know he, James Neal's court. I know yeah, on whether he wants to I stay know, or not. And I know he's younger than James Neal by probably three or four years. But if Andrew King getting seven for seven, did not yeah, there help Vegas's cause between now and June thirtieth. Like if you're Vegas, right, and you're George McPhee, and you have the the bonus, right? You have the the uh, in your hands the fact that you know, hey, no state income tax. And you go to James Neal. It's a 20% boost on your salary. Right. And call for him a four-year deal at $32 million. That's a That's a good contract. I mean, Heck we're not yeah. being cheap here. I mean, $8 no. million a year. Overpaying. I mean, that's a Overpaying. Good, that's a, right. That's a good number. And then, like you said, the state income tax factor, um, does that does that eliminate him? Hitting July 1st, or is he going to say, you know what, it is a really good offer, but I've got to be honest with you, I think I can get better come July 1st, because just look at Evander Kane, and you know, look, and, and it's not like Evander Kane didn't have any baggage. His his off-the-ice issues aside, he's a guy that's been prone to get hurt, too, and he got 7-for-7. Seven seven. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, yes, I'm not his age, but, you know, I'm only 30 years old, Um you know, T.J. Oshie got an eight-year deal at, what, 31, 32? Uh, so that's a tricky one for me. I I, I, I think that's a little I mean, bit. Neil is, Neil's 30 right now. I can't right. go more than four. And I don't think George McPhee will. I think it's going to be up to James Neal. Um, if he I wants to. Right. Listen, if you're if you're going to go to, let's just say California, because that's I, I know their tax thing. If you're going to go to California and say the Ducks want him at uh, six years, seven million, it's forty-two million dollars, right? You take uh, yep. thirty, twenty to thirty percent off of that salary. Now it's uh, seven years at four point eight. Yeah, no, it's only seven years. Well, of, only, that takes yeah. a million bucks off your off your take-home pay. So now you go, you take that away, and you say, well, Vegas is four, four years, thirty-two million. And that's my take-home pay, and I have a chance to win the Stanley Cup for the next three years. Where do I want to play? Do I want to chase a high dollar amount that's going to get eaten up in taxes, or do I want to stay here with what's going on in Las Vegas and be a part of this? It's going to be up to James Neal. The other quote I wanted to ask you about, and I didn't get to it, David Perron during his exit interview said, there have been uh, talks going both ways. I want to stay here. They want me to stay. And he didn't, he didn't, okay, that's the end of the quote quotes. And, but it seemed like he felt that they were close to getting the deal done. I, I'm so not otherwise you wouldn't you mention those negotiations. Me. Right. I, I, I'm not against it, but you have to tell me what the deal is. And again, to me, it's more about term. Like to me, if he gets 6 million or 5.5 or 5.0, I'm not going to go crazy. Sometimes people go crazy. Oh, this guy is, you know, at three point. You know what he made this year? He's really three point seven. He made three point three. Okay, three point seven five. Okay, so yep. I'm not so going to. You bump him up. Crazy. You bump him up one point two to five with the rest of the team that you've been signing to five million deals. Uh, a three-year deal. Or is he a step below that? You go to four point five. How many? Go to four point five. Uh, three years. Yeah, I mean, in that, I mean, that's you what go three years fine. How many points did he have again? Um, 
during the season? Uh, he had a career high, I believe, 66 points. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's probably he probably get a he probably get on the but again you get the state income tax factor, so uh state, state income tax factor. Yeah, I, I get. Let's go four point two four point five five. How about we do that? We graduated yeah. at four point two four point five, and then yeah, last season five years with a club option. Right. I mean, to me, it's something like that. Term with him. Yeah, I'm not not breaking three years on him. That's the key. I agree. And keep I in agree. mind, you know, older players, not that they're old, but they've been in the league for a little while. Older players, you know, it's, they're more prone to get hurt. I mean, anyone can obviously get hurt, but, they, you know, so that's another that's another factor. But I'm not – I mean, the thing is, though, are they going – you know, the, if you if – you, and I don't want to sign Peron if that means I'm saying goodbye to – definitely saying goodbye to Neil. I don't want right. to – I, but then, but then if I'm signing Bull – you know, with Tatar and with the other guys they have, what happens a year from now when, let's say, Nick Suzuki or Cody Glass, if they're truly ready to join the team, uh, I don't want them to be boxed out either. That's another consideration. No, for sure. But you have other expiring yeah, contracts coming up too. No, I know, but I here's want a, them Here's playing. a stat on Perron. That's kind of scary. I want them. Um, I don't want them playing on the fourth line. I want them playing you know, meaningful minutes with with the right people. So agree. If you can make all that work, and again, I get it. That's an estimate because you know, again, those guys, the, the front office knows where their development's at a lot better than I. They know, like, hey, uh, maybe they feel Cody Glass needs. Two more years. I mean, which is nothing wrong with that. He'll be 21 years of age at that point. He's still a kid, you know. Um, I mean, it seems like Suzuki, uh, depending on how he does in training camp, not saying he's going to make the team, but you know, he had a real strong camp last year. So, you know, where that all those things are at is kind of important uh, uh, as well. For so, sure. That, For that sure. I think factors, that, I think there'll be a spot decision. on the third line. I mean, if you keep Perron and Neal, there will still be – I still think that Tuck looks very good on the second line with Halla and Neal. I, I like I that line that. better because he brings a little more speed. Neal's not the, the quickest skater. And I, I think I think Tuck's youth and speed and and physicality on that line help that line better than Perron. And I think Perron looks better on the third line with his puck possession skills because Carpenter can, can skate, he can, can skate. And as long as Perron's there driving the puck in the, in the offensive zone and he can keep that puck going down the boards and in the corner and behind the puck and back out around the other side, and no one's touching it. That bodes well for the third line. So if you change your lines up like that, I think that both Eakin and Carpenter would be expendable if glass and Suzuki were ready. And then you, and you said, I don't want to see them playing minutes on the fourth line. It's tough to crack Vegas's fourth line, baby. That's a good line. <laughs> um, come on now. Give that fourth line some credit. you got to be a good player to get on that fourth line. But I think the, yeah, the, you I, have, a, I, you I, have I, a center in class who would be a great upgrade, I think, when he's ready at, uh, at uh, third line. And I think Suzuki on his wing 
would be fantastic on that third line with a seasoned player like Perron driving possession and, and maybe making up for some youthful mistakes that we might see and maybe mentor those two guys in the last year or two of a three-year deal. So I, I agree with you on the term, but I think there's reason to have these kids come up with that leadership group still intact. I don't see them, though, signing Reeves, Perron, and Neil. I'm no, I agree. I, I see one of them. I, at most, I see two of those guys. At most, I agree. If the contracts kind of fall uh, into place, I guess the last question I have uh, for the show, and we got to promote next week's show for sure, is uh, we talked about. Now, it's I, it's funny if you look at you know the, the Knights have accumulated a ton of draft picks for 2019 and and 2020, but they don't have a lot this year. In fact, they only have one pick in the first four rounds, in the third round. Do you th- I mean, do you think McPhee is going to try to, uh, you know, land, land another pick or two? Although, who would he be trading? I mean, the only guy I can think of is someone like an Oscar Lindbergh. Um, you know, maybe he can get a third-round pick and try to – I mean, do you think uh, he, he's I, – I don't know what – I don't know what tools he's going to use or what players he would use to get, you know, an ex, another pick or two in even, let's say, the third or fourth round. Um, real quick before I before I do that, there was, uh, as far as next year's roster is concerned, I had a couple more points to make. Number one, uh, Pierre Lebrun has already uh, started a rumor, I guess, for, or reported on, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, John Carlson to Vegas. I think that would be a great addition. <laughs> I don't think that's a secret. Yeah. Um, that Vegas does have interest in him. Obviously, the the George McPhee Washington roots are are strong and deep, and Washington will not be able to keep Carlson because of upcoming contracts. And Carlson privately, uh, uh, I allegedly, know. I don't know about that. They might make some moves. I don't know. I wouldn't rule that. I wouldn't rule. He I is a UFA, and Carlson yeah. privately has expressed interest in playing for Vegas. So that's that's one rumor out there and I think no, that'd be a good I don't game. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying he would be against joining Vegas, but I wouldn't rule out of Washington be offering him an eight year deal uh, is my point and, Okay, then the other and, the other thing that, that locally we're we're hearing is that the Eric Carlson uh talks are back on again. So if if they can put pieces together to get Eric Carlson here on uh, the last, you know, whatever the last year of his his deal is going to be worth to Ottawa, then sign John Carlson, and then you have William Carlson. Then I think you have to come well, up with Eric a, Carlson. They're not gonna they're not gonna sign John Carlson as well. I disagree. They're two different kinds of players. I think uh, there's room on that defensive core, and then. And then what you do is you trade um, a couple defensive pieces, and I hate to say this, but a Colin Miller or a another piece or two, and maybe some of the 2019 picks you have to move up in this draft, and then you make the deal for Carlson, and then you sign John Carlson, and then you maybe have one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah, I find it hard to believe they're going to be able. To, they're going to wind up. Signing John Carlson to a huge cap deal. That would be the that would be the Eric get. Carlson. And then you have then and you have then Eric Carlson. For Eric Carlson and 
who's made it be known. It's not like he wants that out of it. He just let it be known that, you know, I'm going to, I, you know, I he wants market I want value. top of the market money. Yeah. And which is like, he believes deservedly he, so he should be getting. T- yeah. And well, or basically like, if you want to sign me now, I want top of the market money, which probably means at least 10 million a year. And they've kind of said, Whoa, we kind of want a hometown discount. And I mean, so, uh, so it's not like he has any, but, you would have to tell me what are the pieces Vegas is going to trade away to get Carlson, and then and then uh, you know sign someone to that eight-year deal at top of the market money. I mean, you're getting really hit both ways in a deal like that. You're giving up, you know, let's say a a, a good amount of inventory, and then you're not. It's not like you're getting the player and you're recouping the player let's say, or you're getting a player for the next three years at, you know, a, a reasonable number, for lack of a better term, a reasonable number. So that's kind of getting hit both ways with that in terms of trading, you know, major assets plus having a huge hit against the cap. I get it. Eric Carlson's a special player. So I'm not saying, you know, there there isn't uh, a scenario where that doesn't work. But I'm just saying those two things would make me a little bit nervous as if I was a Knights fan, so if you go either or, me, let's say both those deals are yeah. on the table, which way do you go? Well, John, I mean, uh, if you're John only Carlson, picking one, I mean, I'm not giving up on any players. So I think right. I would go with Carlson. I would definitely go with Carlson. He's going to cost less against the cap. All right, you want to say Eric Carlson is whatever, fifteen twenty percent better? Let's just say, pick a number. But I'll go with John Carlson, who's played in big games, who's still in his what? What is he? Twenty-seven, twenty-eight, whatever he is, twenty-nine. Right. Um, First, you. I rather I rather do that. I'm not giving up any. I mean, I was not going to trade him this off season, you know, for you know one blue chipper, and you know whatever. And you know, I mean, they're gonna want they're gonna want to make a package. They're gonna want three major future assets. You know, I don't uh, think they can they're get not going to have it's only one year left on his deal. Mind, He's a rental. I the Knights had that, offered they, they those might just... three draft picks and two roster players. You know, the Tatar picks one, two and three. The Knights offered that right. and two roster players for him with a season and a half. And Ottawa turned it down. Now that that whole season and the playoff run is off of that. And you only have one year left on a, on his deal. Um, that price comes down from that. Well, I, I don't know. It depends what the marketplace is. You know, I mean. Um, yeah, again, we're talking about general and, managers and, and, and pr- protecting themselves, and that doesn't happen. Yeah, and PR from the fan base and stuff like that. I agree with you. As ta- as the clock goes by, um, you, you know, if you're the acquiring team, you're like, hey, wait a minute, I'm only getting the player for X amount of time. So that definitely uh, is a factor. But. I mean, in terms of the here and now, you know, maybe there's a team that gets desperate and, um, you know, Ottawa moves, uh, they go to Ottawa during the season. And again, like I said, you know, three major assets, we're talking about, you know, top prospect, a really strong young player and probably a first round pick. But keep in mind, when I say a first round pick, um, you know, first round pick, uh, I'll, I'll just use the Islanders as an, as an example because they just they missed the playoffs this year. So let's say the Islanders 
went to them. And the Islanders are trying to become, you know, get back into the mix and be, you know, a really good team instead of the middle of the road team. But let's even just say they get him and they, it really doesn't make a difference and they're kind of the middle of the road team, okay? They're picking 11th. Their own pick is 11th in this draft. You know, so it's not like they're getting like a top five pick in return as a prime asset. And then if you're talking about a team like uh, Vegas or not that they're going to trade for him, but let's say Nashville or Camp, you know, any of those kind of teams, we're talking about a pick at the end of the first round, you know, you know, probably. So, or boss, you know, whoever you want to use. So, again, there's a lot of ifs in there. Um, so, I think Ottawa's in a kind of a tricky spot, but they have to – they have to be able to present something of significance that they got. I hear what you're saying. He's only got a year left on his deal. But otherwise, why would you do it now? It, it, I mean, quite honestly, if the, fair, you know, if, if the best deal they're getting is a late first and a good young player and whatever, a couple of B-level prospects or a couple of okay roster players, you know what? That deal's going to be there at next year's trade deadline. And quite frankly, it would be. So you wait yeah, and see, sure. and, and, and maybe, I mean, look, who would have thought that Joe Sackick, who, who waited and waited and waited, but you know what? At the end of the day, he got a ton of assets. Now, he, I'm not saying he got a, uh, a Cody Glass back, but he got a lot of assets back. I mean, it wasn't less than a year, but, I mean, uh, so, and ironically, it was Ottawa, Kind of, uh, got the ball rolling, got the ball rolling on that. So, uh, but I would go with, let me John ask you Paulson. this. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this next year. Let's assume both LA and Ottawa are scrapping about the number eight spot in their respective conference. And they decide to roll the dice and hold on to Carlson and Dowdy. Both of them hit free agency next off season. Who gets more money? Um, don't know. To That'd be amazing if it happened. I doubt that happens. I mean, one in a hundred, right? But you know, stranger things have happened. If Dowdy and, and Eric Carlson both hit free agency the same year, oh my goodness! Yeah, the two best offensive defensemen of, in hockey. I don't think there's any question about yeah. that. One thing I would say about both those guys, and I'd love to have them on my team, but um. You know, the one thing that's a little, again, it's a little frightening is uh, there's, there's, those two guys have played a lot of hockey. And, uh, Dow, Dowdy more than Carlson, that, for sure. Dowdy more than Carlson. Miles Dowdy's on played the a lot more physical. Yeah, I don't, Dowdy's played a lot more physical hockey than Carlson. Yes, sir. And I don't know if they're their ages off the top of my head. I want to say, is Dowdy like 30, 31? Or am I, I think he's that? younger than that. I think he's younger than that. He okay, was drafted 29? 2008 draft here. So 10 years, 28, 29, I think is, is more. Okay. I, I think they're both from the same ahead. draft, right? Aren't they? Um, I think they are. So the That's, both, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, basically a year from now, they're both close to hitting 30 on it. You know, on a, you know, it, it, it's a little nerve wracking. I would say from that standpoint, but. Um, he's 28. I, I would is. think that. Okay, so he'll be 28. He's going on 29 this year, probably. Um, oh, he'll be 29 years. this time next year. He'll be 29 um, December I would, 5th. I, 
I, I would say I, I, I gotta think the Kings are gonna sign Daddy this summer. He kind of made some bones that he didn't want to go back unless he felt the organization was going to be recommitted to winning. He said that once, and then they grilled him about it a couple weeks later, and he didn't back off of it. I think they committed to winning. I think they just have some – I mean, how are they not committed to winning? They've kept their, their – they haven't lost any of their players. They haven't let any of their players walk. I mean, they made a couple of bad contracts, if you will, but that was to keep their own guys who – who deliver, helped deliver champ, two championships. Um, you know, they, they've they been a very competitive team. I mean, they had a, you know, they came up short this year. But uh, I also read that he said that he doesn't want to take a discount, which is kind of like, yeah. I don't think he has to take a discount. But to me, those are, you almost contradict, not that, I don't want to say he's contradicting himself, but it's just kind of a strange, you know, thing. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, if that's the case, if they feel like they can't sign him, maybe they shop him this summer, or maybe they shop him before the draft. I'm sure we'll hear all those kind of, uh, you know, rumors, if you will. Yeah. I mean, clearly, clearly, it seems Ottawa is going to shop Carlson. The question is, is there going to be a good enough deal out there uh, for them to pull the trigger, or they'll say, "I tell you what, Mark Warner." I'll take the deal you're talking about, you know, like you mentioned the Tatar deal with the picks and a couple of good roster players, but not great because there's only one year to go. But you got to take Bobby Ryan off my hands. I want no part of that. No How much part. longer does Ryan have on his deal? Oh, I think he's got like five years. Maybe maybe uh. it's four. <laughs> at at 7.25. Mm. No part of that. No can you bear, you uh, can I bury him in the minors for twenty percent of his cap hit? Is that still in the collective yeah, bargaining agreement? No part. Uh, it's something, yeah. But I would not. I'll, I, I'll do it. Bobby Ryan would be my AHL All Star for the next five years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, would want, I would want no part of that. I'll do it. So, just so, just, uh, just, so, that that's one so, thing that uh, came out of the leak this year in the finals. Uh, the, if if the night the Knights need a better uh, power play quarterback, I think Colin Miller does a great job, and maybe he'll grow into the role a little bit more the older and more experience he gets. But um, whew, Eric Carlson would sure look nice on that back end in the power play with this with yeah. the skill that the Vegas has at, at forward. Let me tell you what. So, so before we run out of time, next Saturday, two o'clock Eastern, eleven a.m. Pacific, eleven a.m. Vegas time our annual mock draft show. Uh, myself, Mark here will be master of ceremonies. We have Mark Shy coming in uh, 30 in a row uh, to join me as one of the GMs picking. And Dan Harrigan, good, good new friend of the show as well, uh, doing the same. Uh, I am officially on the clock now, I guess, now that the, Stanley, now the, the games are done, uh, with the number one pick with the Buffalo Sabres. It's going to be a good time. We always have a good time with that. Um, yeah. And then we'll do one more show after that for free agency. We'll take a mini break because free agency, as everyone knows, starts July 1. We're going to want to make sure, you know, the all the big guys are off the board and then we can kind of talk about it. You know, so maybe that Saturday, I think, uh, after July 4th is the possibility. Maybe that week, sometime over that weekend. But 
that will be the last show of the season, and then we'll uh, we'll be back up uh, around training camp time, right? I guess mid mid September or so. So, um, the other thing I heard, uh, they saw John Tavares over at City National the other day. I just wanted to let you know that it was just something that came across my my. Where, uh, where's City National now? It's the Golden Knights practice facility. Oh, uh, okay. You know, <laughs> I've heard so many John Tavares things and so many, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it's just like, and people are, you know, uh, I don't know. You know, That's not I, true, I by the way. I'm the just busting on you. Oh, okay. Like, I'll give you a case of point of how silly it is just to wrap, wrap <laughs> it up. And I, I hope he, obviously, I hope he stays, but, you know, we'll see what happens. I think there's a strong chance he will. But I've been hearing forever. So how Tavares has been saying that he's kind of worried, which I understand that during the season of are the Islanders going in the right direction in terms of are we going to are we building towards being a, a cup winner? I you think know, the they team are. has been run by, but the team was being run at the time of he said that uh, by Garth Snow and coached by right. Doug Wade. I think, and everyone I think said that week's that's moves. Not, right. So, so now. After this week's moves, I hear all the different media and people saying, well, you know, John was really close with Doug Wade, which he is, as as a person, as a friend, as a mentor. And so now that he's not the coach anymore, I'm like, well, hold on. Before he said he was questioning if they can, if they're leading towards being a winner, and if Doug Wade was like he felt the next Scotty Bowman, and I and I'm not put down Doug Wade, but he just he's not the answer for them here and now. You know, maybe he'll wind up being a good young coach. Um, this was his first job. He'll, you know, learn from it. Maybe he'll get another opportunity. But now now that's a deal breaker, um, that doesn't make a that really doesn't make a lot of a lot of sense. A lot of sense to me. So, um, we'll see. There's been some Barry Trotz rumors, believe it or not, yeah. coming to the Islanders. So um, you know, we'll see. Like I said, I, I firmly believe all things being relatively equal, this is where he wants to be. This is where he knows. I think so, this too. This is his team. And uh, and let's face it, I think he's very happy here. Uh, and let's face it, the Islanders can offer him more money than anyone else. Not that that's the be-all, end-all, because if it was, he would have been signed last summer. But having said that, there's something to be said for that as well. And obviously with Lou in charge now, his reputation, everyone knows his reputation, and he's going to bring in the right coach, and they have the ammunition to make – he's going to bring in the right coach, he's going to get a number one goalie, and he's going to get a defenseman to help that blue line. And you know what? They're also going to bring in a coach that's going to emphasize – you know, playing a, a two-way game more. So um, Barry Trotz would be perfect for, obviously. Um, and not to mention that he, you know, and let me tell you something. If John Tavares resigns with the Islanders, he may not be the best player on the team currently. He wasn't last year. His name was no, Matt Barzell. That was the no question about. That was the Islanders' best player. I mean, his offensive. I mean, Barzell, I think, had a point or two more than Tavares. As a rookie, and I get, I get the analytics people aren't totally so, you know, plus minus, but, you know, it's worth something. He was a plus player on that Islander team. He was like a plus five, 
Tavares was, yeah. I want to say, around close to a minus 20. I mean, so, and, you know, he was out there with the same kind of defenseman and the same goaltender as Matt Barzell was. So, um, I got a, I got a newsflash for everyone. I think, and I think Matt Barzell is only going to get better. Oh, there's no question so, about that. He's going to be a superstar. Yeah. So, yeah. So he first hit my uh, radar three I years mean, ago, and and you guys got lucky to get him. He's going to be a superstar. Very lucky. Very fortunate that that injury. Hey, remember the first time ever we ever got introduced to each other? I was doing that show. And I had Barzell going to the Flyers at seven. And you're like, really, Barzell? Yeah. You know, he had the injury. And it's like, he's got the talent. Now, now you know what's ironic is that we went back and redid that draft. Uh, let's see, Eichel was, uh, well, that was the McDavid draft, right? McDavid I went believe so. one, and Eichel went two. Yeah. Yes, that was, uh, okay. Uh, we go back at, well, let me ask you this question. Who would you rather have? Today, forget about contracts and cap hits and all that. Would you rather have Barzell or would you rather have Eichel? I, I'd take Barzell. It's funny because the, we were we were doing. Yeah. I was doing a sh- uh, podcast from Seattle back when it looked like they might go in with Vegas, and we were talking about the uh, Barzell, Barzell, and uh, he said what everybody forgets is that the preseason predictions last year before his injury had him in the same sentence as. Um, McDavid and Eichel and since the year has passed um, people are forgetting about how very good this guy is and once his once his you know his body matures and and his his legs his knees strengthened up again whoever gets him is going to get a steal of a player and I was like okay I'll file you know mental mental uh, (laughs) mental checklist that Matthew Bartzall is uh, the same player as Connor McDavid let's uh, move on then (laughs) but uh, absolutely right now um, and, and I don't know, you, you hear things and you, and you read things and uh, I'll say yeah, attitude and on the ice, I think I, 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 I mean, I, 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 I take parts all in a heartbeat. And, you know, I'm, I'm John Tavares. I'm no dummy. Those guys don't grow on trees just like him. He says, well, wait a minute. We've already got a pretty, you know, we got a superstar in the making here. Not to mention we have you know, young guys ready to blossom, like Bouvier and Pulak. Oh, oh, by the way, Anders Lee, in the last two years, has scored. He's been a top five. Uh, I think he's the fifth highest goal scorer in the National Hockey League the last two years. And Jordan Eberle's not bad. We get someone in here to give a structure. We get a goalie who's pretty good at stopping the puck. Um, let's go. I like it. Yeah, I like it. And I'm gonna, you know, and I'm gonna have Lou, who's gonna be aggressive, and we have assets. Not just now, but moving forward, we got Kiefer Bellows coming. I mean, you got a few free other, agents other, this year. You got some decisions to make over there. There's qu- yeah, quite it's, a, well, it's really Tavares and Calvin De, Calvin DeHaan. I know I, the, right. the other guys are they're complimentary players. They're gone. I mean, they're and the okay. question is with Calvin DeHaan is is he healthy? You know, I mean, he was he's been a solid player for them, no doubt, and he could help their defense. You know, I don't think it was, ironically. Their defensive woes went into the tank after he got hurt in that Kings game on that winning play, and he was done for the year, and then they really went in the tank. So, All right, well, let's you know, wrap let's it say, up. Yep, next Saturday, big honest. show. Yeah, definitely. We're going to have a lot of fun looking at uh, 
all the youngsters coming out coming up. I think yep. I think I think uh I think Buffalo's gonna get just what they need. I think that uh Darling's gonna be a great fit in Buffalo. Um oh one one other thing real quick. Uh the odds for next year's Stanley Cup came out and Vegas is co favor co co second favorite at ten to one. Just so everybody knows. They're they're in the same boat yeah. as Pittsburgh and Washington. Tampa Bay Lightning leading the way at six to one. Okay. So I think they'll be better next year. I, I, I really think the experience of going through what and not just the Stanley Cup playoffs and everything else, but just what what the city went through and being a part of that and taking that responsibility for the community and running with it and embracing it and making this city their home. Um I think there's big shoes to fill for anybody that comes in. One more quote from Nate Schmidt. He said, I will expect that the culture of our locker room does not change. And what we expect from players coming in, not on the ice, but off the ice, will not change. And that, I'll give uh, you, I'll leave I'll, you with this. I'll give you, the, yep. I'll give you the, on top of being a really good team, having a lot of good players, in terms of them having a really strong season, and we all know the playoffs, who knows. But here's the thing in their division, there's not a Nashville. There's not a Winnipeg. Nope. There's nope. not a Washington. There's not a Pittsburgh. Nope. Nope. There's not a Tampa. I think all three of the other big boys in that division are on their way down. I think they're over the over the hill. I really do. I think the Pacific's well, going to be let, there for the taking. Let's put it this way. Let's put it. Let's phrase it like this. Everyone in the division has a lot of questions. A lot more yep. questions than I think Vegas has currently. I agree. Um, that doesn't mean that. You know who I'm worried about next year? Calgary. Head. Calgary. Yeah, I think if Calgary. Yeah, get, I know. I think if Calgary gets their their uh, gets their act together and commits to playing a team game, Calgary could be very dangerous. They have a lot of talent and they play a lot of the same style. I don't know what Edmonton's going to do if they're going to be able to come back and see what they were two years ago, or are they the team that we saw last year? That's going to be interesting as well. Edmonton, I don't think so either. I think they're in between. I think I think they're in between they're the two between? teams. I think they're I think they're fourth place in the in the division with no myself. cap space. With no cap space and you know what Edmonton you know who's a huge what Edmonton needs is their two young guys Yamamoto and Puvari. They need those two to guys play out of their mind. Unfair. Well, to be really strong contributors next year. Yep. Because that's going to help their depth. Yeah. They have a big depth problem. And they need Cam Talbot to be Cam Talbot from two years ago. Or, you know, last year, whatever. Yep. I think, uh, I think the Pacific Division, I think there's a lot of changes that need to be made to the rosters on the the three perennials, the Kings, Sharks, and Ducks, is they were all built to beat each other, and they were all built with the big, hulking, uh, power forward style. And they're getting older and slower, and the Knights are just going to keep getting faster. And it's not. I mean, yeah, go no, back to the, the. I would say. I think it's that, the nice division me, for the foreseeable future. I think it gives me, for them, the uh, so again no guarantee, but that gives me the most confidence of where they're at of moving forward next year. I agree a hundred percent. Well, it has been fun, Chris. We've been doing this for a bunch of years, and we never. Uh, that's on. Yeah, we got a couple more. No goodbyes. Oh yet. yeah, we and we and we've got all next season. season. We got all next season, but. Yes. Wrapping up this season, um, 
it's been an amazing run and, and especially being here in Las Vegas and, and seeing the, the, the city transform uh, and then seeing the Stanley cup raised on our home ice, even though it wasn't us, um, we had to be there for it to happen. Um, very incredible year and congratulations to all the golden Knights and the fans in the city of Las Vegas for the way you stepped up and supported this team and embraced uh, hockey and the Golden Knights here in Las Vegas. And kudos to the Golden Knights for opening their arms and embracing us right back. Absolutely. So next week, we'll have our draft preview show. It's going to be a blast. Make sure you turn in. Uh, Same time, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. We're going to go through the top 15 picks in the NHL draft. And maybe if there's time at the end, we'll just stick it to that. We'll have, we'll have one more show unless yeah. something cracks. Um, if there's if there's trades before the trade deadline or whatever, we'll jump in and give our thoughts in a real quick podcast between then and the free agency wrap-up show. So we still got some things left to do this summer. Um, it, we're, we're looking forward to hearing from you guys. We appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at Vegas Hockey Pod, Blog Talk Radio, the Vegas Hockey Podcast, uh, I, iTunes Podcast. Uh, everywhere the, that you can capture a podcast, just the, the Vegas Hockey Podcast, and we'll be there for you. And make sure you follow Chris on Twitter for all his Islanders content at the NL King, and over at IonIslesFS.com for all of his all of his Islanders Islanders articles. And I'm sure he'll be having a few more drop here before the draft and free agency on what he thinks the Islanders will be doing coming up. So pay attention. I to one that. drop. I one drop today called uh, Islanders okay. should hold on to Keeper Bellows and trade the picks. So check that there out. There you go. There you go. So make sure everyone goes over to Ion Isles FS and check that out. He links all his articles through his Twitter feed at the NL King. So make sure you make sure you hop on over there and give him a follow. It's always good stuff. Chris, it has been a great season. Um, we'll be talking at you next week for Chris. I am Mark. And we're gone.